0: Well, good evening and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Groda, your host for this program. Uh, thank you for joining us. You're hearing us over EWTN radio, and you're coming to, we're coming to you from the uh, uh, studio at the Coming Home Network International in central Ohio. And uh, the, this program, Deep in Scripture, is an opportunity for us to relax and study the Word. And I always invite a guest to join us to share Uh, what they consider a a, a key verse that drew them closer to follow Jesus. And uh, very often the guests on this program are converts to the Catholic Church. So in a sense, uh, the verse they're chosen was a verse that helped them follow Christ in a much deeper way, uh, leading them into the church. Our guest tonight on the program uh, is going to share a verse that not only drew him to the Catholic Church, but in fact drew him to Christianity because... Our guest tonight is Jeffrey Schwemm. He's a former member of the Jehovah Witnesses headquarters staff in Brooklyn, Brooklyn New York. So he was, he was kind of high up there in the, uh, uh, the higher echelons of, of the, the witness, and he'll talk a bit about that when he joins us in a moment. He's, he was a former Lutheran. He is an associate professor of biochemistry at Lakewood College in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. And is also the president of the Fellowship of Catholic Ex-Jehovah Witnesses. And uh, if you'd like to find out about his work, uh, I'll give you the, I'm going to read off the website, but if you go to our website, deepinscripture.com, there's a direct link to Jeff's website. But his address is catholicxjw.com. Okay, that's www.catholicxjw.com. It's a Catholic apostolate to assist Jehovah's Witnesses into the Catholic Church. And uh, Jeff comes at this with a great love for Jehovah Witnesses, and it's a desire for them to experience the fullness of God's grace that he does this. And so, I would encourage you all to, to go to the website and to uh, s- support his apostolate with prayer, as well as uh, you know these things aren't cheap. And uh, but check out out and see what he's doing, and and maybe you can get involved, especially if you know any friends or family that have been drawn into the Jehovah Witnesses' um, religion. And Jeff's going to join us in a moment, as I said. Again, this is, if you go to deepinscripture.com, you can find out more about our program, all the things that are available. If you'd like to give us a call, you can do so, 800-664-5110. Or our regular number is 740-450-1175. That's the Coming Home Network International number. Or you can send me an email at marcus at deepinscripture.com. And if you go to the website, you can watch uh, me sitting here in front of a microphone live on the internet. Now, Jeff has chosen two large sections of Scripture from uh, the latter part of the Gospel of Matthew. And he'll talk in a moment why these long passages. And to a certain extent, he's chosen these because they were important passages that had, as he says, were drummed into him as a witness. And they were an important part of the Jehovah Witness um, indoctrinization to help Jehovah Witnesses understand their calling. And again, he'll talk more about that uh, as a former Jehovah Witness. There are two large sections. The first is Matthew 24, verses 42 through 51. And the second is a very large section and it's the parable of the talents, Matthew 25 verses 14 through 30. And What I'm going to do this evening is I'm going to read the first section before the break and, um, and then Jeff will join us and then at some point during our discussion when he's ready to look at the second passage, then I'll read that and then we'll uh, focus our attention on that. Again... You know, Our goal is to understand these passages within the fullness of the church. And Jeff's choice of these passages underlines how any portion of Scripture can be used to say a variety of things. And that's the danger of private interpretation. And those of you that... Are, I, you know, I was an evangelical, I was a Presbyterian pastor, and I would not have been very kind in my views of Jehovah Witnesses. I would have used to call them a cult, uh, at least a sect, because they didn't represent authentic Christianity. Their view of the Trinity, the divinity of Christ, a, a variety of issues, their, their, their view of salvation, of eternal life, were radically different than traditional Christianity. So I would have easily written them off. The reality is I look back and now see from a Catholic perspective that in fact they are a group that took the scriptures and interpreted the scriptures on their own and came up with a different conclusion than, than Wesleyan Methodists or Presbyterians or Baptists or Assembly of God They're all groups that are, to one extent or another, uh, teaching what is true, but different percentages. The the Reformation groups are closer to the Catholic Church, and then different Christian traditions have added or taken away in different ways as they have interpreted Scripture. And Jehovah Witnesses have, have in many ways jettisoned much of traditional Christianity and added different slants but yet there are still aspects of traditional Christianity within them, but lesser than other Protestant groups. And Jeff can talk about that in a moment. But let me quit gabbing. Let me read Matthew 24, verse 42 through 51, and then we'll take a break and come back and Jeff Schwem will join us for this evening. Jesus is speaking, beginning with verse 42. Watch therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the householder had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have watched. It would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with the drunken, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will punish him, and will put him with the hypocrites. Their men will weep and gnash their teeth. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Next time on The Journey Home, join Marcus for a special episode of The Journey Home from Scandinavia. When he talks with convert to Catholicism, Father Ulf Johnson, find out what convinced him to make The Journey Home to the Catholic Church. That's on the next Journey Home, only on EWTN.
1: The Journey Home is seen and heard around the world on EWTN. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com.
2: The Coming Home Network International and Marcus Grodi invite you to join us for our seventh annual Deep in History conference coming this fall to Columbus, Ohio.
0: This year, we will begin on the rock, looking to understand the question of authority, the pillar and bulwark of truth. Join us the weekend of October 23rd as we bring together another exciting list of speakers. For more information, go to deepinhistory.com or call us at 800 664 5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host. And before I invite Jeff to join us, I just want to take a moment to tell you about a, a great service that EWTN offers called WINGS. Would you like to get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN? You can when you sign up for WINGS. That's EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Be the first to get the latest program information for live events, special features, and live show guests. Check out what's playing on EWTN radio, read up on breaking news, and see the latest items added to the EWTN online library. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the WINGS link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening on EWTN. You get your WINGS today. And it's really a helpful uh, service that EWTN offers. I I belong to the WINGS email uh, list, and so I get that whenever they're letting me know as an update of what's happening in the coming week. And so I encourage you to consider that. All right. Hello, Jeff. How are you doing tonight? Good. How are you? Well, I'm fine. Glad that you could join us from the snowy north <laughs> up in Wisconsin. <laughs> oh, thanks
2: for having, uh, having me on. It's not that snowy these days.
0: <laughs> I mean, for me, just the word Sheboygan makes me shiver.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, we have had like the coolest July in many years, though, that's for sure. Well, it's that global cooling
0: cool. that we're all worried about.
2: That's right. <laughs>
0: well, thanks. Thank you for joining us tonight, Jeff. It's, it's always a pleasure to have you on the program. And I will say that because you were a former Jehovah Witness, uh, you're, you're a bit of a treasure in the sense that every time I travel and I'm invited to speak, I invariably will have someone that has questions about the Jehovah Witnesses. And I can't answer them very well because I really did not have an, any experience with Jehovah Witnesses except the few that would stop by my door. Uh, that I wouldn't have a long conversation with. But you have come out of that by the grace of God.
2: Yeah. And if uh, you need to, send them to our apostolate at the website or have them email us. Um, that's what we're here for, is to assist Catholics in dialoguing more effectively with our Jehovah's Witness friends.
0: Well, I I, uh, I appreciate your work on that and your willingness to be available to help others on the journey, even though you spend most of your time in biochemistry.
2: That's right. Right, Anthony. Yeah. Well, that's
0: your main I, I, talent, right? switch gears, you know. <laughs> that's right. Well, it's good. It's good to have a break. You know, from, uh, for me, it's shoveling horse manure out of the horse barn when I need a break, uh, and I, I that think. happens about once a year, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible at
2: my farming. Anyways,
0: you chose Matthew 24, 42
2: through 51. And yeah, kind of a... You know, people would read that and say, how in the world does that get people to follow Christ?
0: Yeah, that's all right. Well, I mean, talk about it. I mean, why Um, did you choose that
2: passage? Well, in order to understand this from a Jehovah's Witness perspective, what we need to know is a little bit about how Jehovah's Witnesses view salvation. They have this kind of two-tiered, perspective on salvation, where they believe only 144,000 people will go to heaven to rule with Christ, and then the rest of saved mankind will live forever in paradise on earth. Um, What they believe is that in the year 1914, there was um, Jesus returned invisibly and inspected all the religions of the world to see who was being faithful to what the Bible taught. And he chose, basically, the leaders of a small group known as the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. And those individuals who claim to be of the heavenly calling of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society make up a group of individuals that they call the faithful and discreet slave class. So when you read Matthew 24 and... You're looking at verses 45 in particular. It asks the question, "Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find doing so, or find so doing." Um, the Jehovah's Witness Bible says, "faithful and discreet slave." They believe that that was actually a prophecy that was fulfilled around the year 1914 when Jesus returned invisibly and discovered that the leaders of the Watchtower Society were actually publishing the Watchtower magazine and teaching what they considered to be authentic Bible truths at that time. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, there were things like um, the Jehovah's Witnesses. While they weren't known as Jehovah's Witnesses then, they were known as Bible students then, they were denying the Trinity. They were... um, teaching other things, like they deny that that the soul lives on after death, all these types of things they were teaching in those publications. And they were also teaching that uh, the world was uh, coming to an end around the year 1914, and they were also teaching some other things at that time. And all of these things were things that were very different from what the mainstream Protestant and, of course, the Catholic Church is teaching. Mm -hmm. And they view this even today as evidence that Jesus chose the leader of the Watchtower the leaders of the Watchtower Society to be the faithful and discreet slave in fact they even kind of boil it down to what's known as the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses which is a group of elders basically that that make all the doctrinal decisions for the Jehovah's Witnesses and the governing body is viewed as the representative of this faithful and discreet slave class that has been chosen by Christ actually be the channel that the lord is using to teach people in fact i have in front of me a book called jehovah's witnesses proclaimers of god's kingdom it's actually the official history of the jehovah's witnesses that's published by the watch society and on page 626 they'll say they say jehovah's witnesses today recognize the watchtower magazine and kindred publications which are published by the watch society to be the ones used by the faithful and discreet slave to dispense spiritual food they do not claim that this slave class is infallible but they do view it as the one channel and one channel is italicized that the lord is using during the last days of this system of things so well, that's as pretty bizarre. A witness, <laughs> so as a jehovah's witness reading this particular passage um i would read this and say okay well the faithful and discreet slave is the governing body, or the the anointed Christians who are going to live uh, with Jesus in heaven. And one hundred forty-four
0: thousand. Mm-hmm. That's one hundred forty-four that you're talking about. There.
2: Correct. And but they're represented by the governing body of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay. And so these these men fulfilled this particular prophecy, and is and and they were basically you know in the next verse, verse forty-seven. Truly, I say to you. He will set him over all his possessions. Well, that to me means that, in, that's what as a Jehovah's Witness, what that meant to me was that they're the true religious organization on earth, and God has appointed them to be his one true channel. And then in verse 48 it says, But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drinks with the drunken, the master of that servant will come on a day when he doesn't expect him, and in an hour that he does not know. And then we'll punish him, and they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, the wicked servant, the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, are all of those groups that um, broke off of the Watchtower Society. there have been a number of um, schisms throughout the years, some of them more organized than others. And any person who basically leaves the Jehovah's Witnesses is considered to be part of that evil slave class that is destined for destruction. And so... Many of your Bible student groups, there's very large Bible student groups who still hold to the teachings of Russell, who broke away when Russell died and and formed their own groups. They're part of the evil slave class and are considered to be destined for destruction. And then individuals like myself along the way are also considered to be part of that class. And one of the results of being considered, quote-unquote, an apostate is that you're shunned as well. So it's a very powerful... um, Scripture in a variety of ways for Jehovah's Witnesses, and that there's some fear involved mm-hmm. on, on kind of uh, two levels. One is, I don't know if you've ever seen the bumper sticker that says, Jesus is coming, quick, look busy. Oh. <laughs> um, but I've seen that, particularly uh-huh. in the South. and That's kind of part of the fear, you know, we need to look busy following, as a Jehovah's Witness, we need to look busy going from door to door, following all the rules set forth by the leaders of the Watchtower. In order to be prepared for Jesus' return, so that was one fear. The other fear was if you ever left, then you had rejected this channel that God had had um, had appointed, and and then when you were shunned, you know, you were basically being prepared for destruction whenever Christ would return. So that's kind of a bizarre thing. It, it
0: is bizarre. In fact, let me let me ask you a bit, and that this is really bizarre, and and it's bizarre when I think about this as an illustration of the danger of private interpretation Mm -hmm. because there's any number of scriptures that this is so bizarre in the sense that not only is is this whoever started this an individual or a committee who came up with this particular angle on this passage In other words, basically saying, this is what Jesus really meant by this passage. Now, it was at that point 1,900 years after Jesus would have said this. Now, not only they're saying this is the correct way, but they are saying we are the hand-chosen ones that you must obey. I mean, isn't that true, what the leaders were basically saying about themselves?
2: Absolutely. But you see, again what it boils down to is authority mm-hmm. right and so what the Jehovah's Witnesses I guess had to do and I don't know if they really thought about this but you know you see this through most groups coming out of the 1800s who have this idea that somehow the church went corrupt at the end of the first century and then God chose them to reorganize it in what they believe to be the last days, starting in like First they said it started, in the witnesses, anyway, said the last day started in 1874, then 1914, and who knows what they'll say tomorrow. Um, But they have to somehow rationalize why they have the authority to say, we're the reorganized true church on earth now. And this was one of the rationalizations used by the Watchtower Society to make those um, claims to authority.
0: It was basically, it wasn't a proof. It was merely, here's this text, here's what we believe it says, and that's why it's true.
2: Right, and they, and they even say, I mean, if you read the Jehovah's Witnesses, Proclaimers of God's Kingdom book, they're constantly saying that the this interpretation of, of this scripture is self-evidently true to those people who have an honest heart.
0: Ah, okay, so another, well, I remember the Mormons once coming to my door with a, uh, to give us, actually it happened when I was in the middle of a Bible study, and the, the, the mission, Mormon missionary stopped at the door, and I told him we were having a Bible study, and, and he said, well, here, why don't you guys look at this book? And they gave us a Book of Mormon, and, and their answer, and their challenge was, if you read this and pray that the Holy Spirit opens your your mind, uh, the, 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 the Holy Spirit will witness to you the truth of this book. Uh, and so, I mean, that's kind of what the Jehovah's Witnesses were saying. In other words, that it's this is what's true similar. here, and uh, you, if you b- you'll believe it because the Holy Spirit will open your heart. If it doesn't, well, you know.
2: Uh, well, it's very similar to the burning in the bosom that the Mormons talk about. Yeah. You know, I've had Mormons visit me at my home, and, and they'll share with me a scripture from the Book of Mormon. Sometimes they'll even share with me a scripture from the, from the uh, King James Version of the Bible that they have vastly reinterpreted. And they'll say, you know, if, if if you're really open to it, God will cause this burning happen to happen in your bosom, which will testify that it's true. The problem with that, with that, is that um, that's not objective. That's very subjective. Um, of course. And and it's different with, you know, with with what we know from the history of the Catholic Church. You know, the the Catholic Church um, has um, the divine imprint. In many ways, through apostolic succession, you know we have, we have the the oral tradition that was passed on through the um, descent of the of the successors to the apostles through the bishops and such, and so it's a very different way of figuring out well what's authentic and what's not.
0: I mean, imagine here you you and I are, are talking right now, all right, and nobody hears us. It's just you and me, okay. right? All right. And you and I decide, you know, Jeff, this verse is talking about us. <laughs> it's you and me. Jesus, f- for the first time in, in 2,000 years, <laughs> you and I, were the faithful and wise servants. And I've tried to imagine if you and I decided that, and then we're going to go out and try and convince a few others, think how hard that would be. Yes. I mean, that amazes me that the Jehovah's Witnesses actually took these guys seriously.
2: Well, and part of it is, you know, what I did is I distilled down, you know, a hundred years of, you know, the development of their understanding of the Scripture in, you know, what, a couple of minutes. So it actually kind of first started off with people believing that Charles Russell was the faithful and discreet slave. And he, he claims their, the, the proclaimers... Was he, a, was he a very
0: charismatic, believable...
2: He was, evidently, he he was a pretty charismatic guy and and was able to get some people to follow him. And, uh, you know, some of the people were, I mean, basically he started publishing this magazine, distributed it, and people started forming Bible studies using that magazine. Mm -hmm. And every one of these um, little congregations elected him as their pastor, even though he wasn't physically present at any of those places except for maybe one of them. So he must have had some cat charisma in order to pull that off mm-hmm. and um according to the proclaimers book which is their official history they make the claim that it was the people who first came to him and said you must be the faithful slave in this particular parable and um i mean i don't know how true that is but that's actually that's the way that they paint it sure and uh, and then after russell died and, and charles rutherford or, uh, sorry joseph rutherford took over rutherford needed to consolidate power in a variety of ways because there, to this day there's an argument over whether or not he uh... took over the society in a in a legal way um, but in any case he, he needed to take some of that focus off of russell and make it more on the the organization itself and so um, that idea morphed from russell personally being the faithful slave to the leadership of the society particularly the, um, the those in charge like the president of the Washington Society um, becoming more the faithful slave and then that morphed in the mid-70s to the governing body which is a committee running the organization and them representing the faithful slave and printing stuff And in fact Tom Kabeen could tell you that story because he was at the headquarters when that change took place he's a former Jehovah's Witness, who's now an athlete. Um, But in any case, you can see, uh, and I think our listeners can see, the danger in private interpretation and what it can lead to.
0: And even it comes down to, okay, so let's say Russell claimed that he was this one and only faithful servant, and then there's a committee and, and on and on. And then you and I claim it, all right? And then let's say there's another one, another group over here, Fred Nethel, and, and they claim it, that they are the. When it comes down to it, and we sit down around a table and we decide, okay, which of us has the right interpretation? How are you going to decide? And in the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses, it's all a kind of a subjective, well, you're going to feel it. It's emotions, all right? That's what they're basing it on. If you don't feel it, well, then you're not of God. You know, if you were of God, you'd feel it. So, I mean, as you said, it comes down to authority and, and really the issue is if, even if I'm I'm sitting on this little round table in a studio and if I was sitting here and there was a Baptist and a Presbyterian and a Lutheran, an Assembly of God, Church of Christ, Jehovah's Witness, Mormon, all sitting around a table and I said, Okay, let's hear all your different opinions on baptism. Right. In the end, how do you can determine which one's true?
2: Right. And it's just like it's just like what Pope Benedict says. He said that, you know Outside the tradition of the Church, you know, the interpretation of Scripture becomes basically an argument between experts. Um, Yeah. And and so what they've done here, you know, is they've taken uh, a book that has been compiled into a collection, and if you look at the history of the development of the New Testament canon, it clearly is a product of the tradition of the early Church which, if you read the writings of the Church Fathers, clearly they believe the same thing then that Catholics believe today. So what they've done is they've taken this book, cut it off of the root of from which it grew, and when you do that, you can make it say whatever it is you want.
0: That's right. I'll tell you what, let's take a break, but before we take the break, I'm going to read the next passage, all right? Matthew 25, 14-30 those of you listening, it's a long passage, it's a familiar passage, but Jeff and I would like to talk about this, and he's, Jeff's going to talk about how this fit into his previous Jehovah Witness pass, and then we'll look at it for our own sake. It's the parable of the talents, and it's a very important one, and I think it's this is important to get it right, because you can make this apply to all kinds of things. Let me read, Matthew 25. For it will be as when a man going on a journey called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Twenty gave five talents to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. And he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not winnow. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I have not winnowed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So, into the t- so take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. There men will weep and gnash their teeth. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Groda. I am joined tonight by Jeffrey Schwemm. And you're hearing us on EWTN, the Global Catholic Radio Network. Next time on the World Over Live. Sister Carol Keehan, president and CEO of the Catholic Health Association, and Judy Brown, president of the American Life League, will discuss the health care reform bill currently under review in Congress.
2: That's this week on The
1: World Over Live, only on EWTN. The World Over is seen and heard around the world on EWTN. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. Follow the compelling journey of one man who became a Church of Christ minister and found himself entering the Catholic Church. Bruce Sullivan shares his conversion story in his new book titled, Christ in His Fullness. In this book, he communicates a passionate love for Christ and the inexhaustible treasures of grace found in the Catholic Church. Perhaps you too will discover the same riches in the fullness of Christ. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website www.chnetwork.org or call us at
0: 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grody, your host. I'm joined this evening by uh, Jeffrey Schwimm, former Jehovah Witness. Um, and we're looking at a large passage, a very familiar passage. Um, Jeff, it's it, which is interesting. It ends with the exact verse that the other one ended with, with the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, but this was a, a little bit different scenario. Uh, this had to do with people using the talents that they were given. I'll talk about how this was used, for example, as a, pro, a Jehovah
2: Witness. Well, actually, it was applied quite similarly to the Matthew chapter twenty-four. The the uh, um, individuals with the talents who did the investing and and, and got a return was applied primarily to those of the heavenly calling, those of the 144,000. And the one that was given uh, the talent and buried it was basically applied to those individuals who uh, broke away, the apostates, you know, the Bible students who broke away from the Watchtower Society. And they took what small truth they had received from God through Russell, I suppose, buried it, and, and never progressed. And, and that It's a very organizational-based um, application and um, interpretation.
0: Where did the average Joe fit into the story?
2: Well, the average Joe didn't fit into it too much, other than that the average Jehovah's Witness who had the earthly calling was encouraged to always be um, connected to and to follow the lead of the organization, as as I read in the Proclaimers book earlier, the wa- information coming to the average Jehovah's Witness through the Watchtower publications is viewed as as the Word of God, as as the information that that God wants people to have through His approved channel, whom they believe to be the leaders of the Watchtower, as represented by the governing body, as published in their literature.
0: Well, this um, sounds amazingly self-centered in the sense that the leaders that apply this passage to themselves are they basically seeing that the spreading of the watchtower is like the planting or is like the investing of the talents they've been given and the people that are converted to the watchtower are the reaping of their investments correct which then therefore make them more pleasing to God to receive Right. The word, well done, good and faithful servant.
2: Correct. So and the and people and in the pews
0: are nothing more than than the chattel.
2: Correct. And then it gets even worse if you go to uh, continue in the 25th chapter and you talk about the parable of the sheep and the goats. Mm-hmm. The way in which Jesus identifies the sheep is by how well they treat those who are less fortunate, whom Christ refers to as his brothers. Mm-hmm. We were taught as Jehovah's Witnesses that Christ's brothers were not really those people in need in the world. They were really the leaders of the Watchtower Society. And so our salvation was dependent on how well we worked with the leaders of the Watchtower Society in helping them to distribute the Watchtower literature. And Jeffrey, free. We were taught that.
0: Now let me ask you something. Mm-hmm. Again, it's just you and me talking. All right. Do you think these leaders really believed this? I mean, oh, it yeah. sounds like a, a major pyramid scheme.
2: Mm, yes, but I think some of them really believe it. Yeah. The
0: people that established it in the beginning truly were convinced in this revelation that they had received.
2: Yes. Okay. I believe many of them are.
0: Cuz it really does sound like a, a you know, a very convenient uh I mean, I know of a group, I won't name it on the air, but there's a group out west that uh, has been operating since I think the 60s. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple guys that that buy mailing lists and send letters out by the thousands that include a paper prayer cloth and a bunch of goofy things. And they say in there that, that the, the leaders of this thing... Uh, their their years in ministry add up to over two hundred years of this great wisdom, and if you want to have the blessings, you are to kneel on this paper play, prayer cloth, and you'll be blessed. And blah 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 blah, and they use Catholic-sounding words, and, and the truth is, I don't think these guys are religious at all. It's just a scam.
2: Uh, yeah, and well, you know, well, I'm sure you have a, a continuum of groups that do do like this. That's why that's why Jesus warns us. Repeatedly in Matthew 24 about individuals who come about, you know, they're basically wolves in sheep's clothing, and whether they truly believe what it is they're telling you or not doesn't really undo the damage that they do, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe that's enough for us to. Uh, we need to pray pray for our uh, brothers and sisters who have bought into this. There's a passage in Wisdom, chapters 14 and 15, in which. I would encourage the audience to, if you get a chance, to look at the passage in chapters 14 and 15 that talk about those that make idols and and find themselves drawn away from an authentic faith. And it says in uh, Wisdom 15, verse, I think, 10 and 11, that, that their hope is dirt cheap because they've based the hope of their life and eternity on something that does not hold the value of the authority that they can depend their life on. Right. And so we need to pray for those that have been drawn into uh, Sex like the Jehovah Witness. So let's talk a little bit now though. Uh, okay, now how do we understand this passage correctly?
2: Well, um, I, I actually started coming to a better and more uh, historically sound understanding of this passage as I started moving into uh, mainline Protestant uh, beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually kind of freaked my wife out one day when I told her that I was the faithful and discreet slave or that or that I actually hoped to be. <laughs> and she looked at me like, uh-oh, are you of the evil slave class? And I said, no, I said, this is simply a parable where Jesus is telling us to be watchful, to be faithful and discreet in the ways in which he's called us to be, um, whether it's to be a faithful husband or a faithful wife in her case or a faithful mother or father or a faithful mm-hmm. businessman or a faithful clergyman or whatever it might be and that you know um, I remember when I was um, teaching CCD my my students would always ask me is there a test at the end of the course and I said yeah there's a test but I'm not the one giving it and then they would kind of frown and I would say the test is whenever the end comes yours or whenever Jesus decides to return Uh Um, and that's when the test is and so You know, he says the Master will return sometime. He's either going to return at the moment of our death when he calls us home to be with him, or he's going to return in his second coming. In either case, we need to be found um, prepared, ready to make an account for the actions that we did. Did we use the graces that God gave us for the good of others, the authentic good of others, not, you know, selling watchtower magazines door to door, but helping those who are truly in need, and that's the thing with the talents as well. God gives us talents, some of them um, many of them are natural talents; they all come from Him. How do we invest the talents that God has given us? uh do we use them only for our own uh selfish gain like the evil uh the evil servant did, or do we actually invest them in such a way that they build up the kingdom of god and then a great thing too, you know when I was a Lutheran, I would look at that scripture and say. You know, this is wonderful, but there's this haunting scripture in Matthew. Um, it's also, I think, in in the uh, Matthew, in the book of Matthew where it says, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Yeah, that's back in the Sermon on the Mount. Really. Right. And that passage just haunted me to no end uh, because I knew that in this life I would never, ever be perfect. And I was always asking myself, well, how could God put that a condition on me knowing the state that I'm in. And and particularly as a Lutheran, where we were taught that um, yep. we were inherently evil and that when God looks at us, he actually sees Jesus, because Jesus kind of covers us over. We're basically dog piles of dung mm-hmm. covered in snow. But then as a Catholic, I realized that um, that particular interpretation or understanding of human nature is not what the Church has taught. What the Church has taught is that we're basically good. We're wounded because of our propensity for sin and being attracted to things that are wrong, but, but we're basically good, and the talents God gives us are basically good. And then I discovered through the sacraments that, you know, yeah, God commands us to be perfect, but he doesn't do that without giving us the grace we need to do it, and we receive that grace through the sacraments of his church. And when you have a... a a, a God who says, I want you to be like me, and then gives you the, the grace through the sacraments to be like you, that's a very loving God. He, you know, he's stacking the deck in our favor. Whereas as a Jehovah's Witness, I always and even somewhat as a Lutheran, I always felt like the deck was stacked in the not in mm-hmm. my favor.
0: It would not be a loving and merciful God to expect us to be mer- uh, perfect when we can't
2: be. Right. That's just frustration, and I think that's why a lot of times when people leave groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses, and like you said, oh, this sounds like the perfect pyramid scheme. Um, they're very cynical. You know, scripture has been used to browbeat them into a very, um, into a system that has been very uh, abusive, and so it's hard for them to trust someone else coming along and saying, no, look, you know, you were abused, but this is what it really means, you know, and then so. Unfortunately, I see a lot of former Jehovah's Witnesses go down the road of atheism and agnosticism for that very reason, hmm. uh, not realizing that in the Catholic tradition the, the ideas about human nature are, are quite positive. The all-good God created humans. That means that human, human nature is um, essentially good. We're wounded because of our uh, original sin and, and the choices that our first parents made to reject god and and then we're also wounded by our own choices sometimes we make poor choices but but god gives us the grace to fight against that and he's with us all the way and he gives us the talents to help us collaborate with him in making the world a better place and in preparing the world uh... for his second coming in a certain sense
0: yeah the use of the word perfect as we translate into English from the Greek and the Hebrew, leads us, you know, when I hear it, I'm still hearing it a little bit through my Calvinist Protestant, I was brought up Lutheran, then later Calvinist minister, because when I hear myself say that when a Catholic walks out of the confessional after doing an a, a honest, sincere confession and receiving absolution, they're perfect. They've been cleansed um, from sin. Right. And, and my reaction to that is, you know, kind of uh, well, that sounds arrogant to say a person's perp- well, then you're not you're not under if you feel that way, or even think that way, then you're misunderstanding what it means to be perfect. Perfect is humility, perfect is recognizing um, that we need God. Perfect is is seeking to be holy by grace. And when we come out of the confessional and we've been forgiven for our sins, if we're perfect, it's completely 100% by the grace of God. Correct. And it's nothing that we have done. The instant we start being prideful, well, we got to go back to the confessional. I mean, there, right. you know, there we are. <laughs> we still got growing to do. But it's grace that enables us to fulfill this holiness, as opposed to my Lutheran background, which kind of said, You know, Luther, who had a real hard time with the confessional, found a way around it. Well, you know, I'm just covered. This righteousness is imputed to me. It isn't mine. So in in essence, whether he said it or not, it takes away from any motive to try and change to be different. And, of course, the Calvinist view was it's kind of like you were decided before the beginning of time whether you're going to spend eternity with God or not. I mean, so.
2: And that's where the, you know that particular perspective, the deck is really stacked against you. Yeah. So, um, another thing, too, is, is the scripture in Ephesians, you know, where it talks about how we're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. But it tells us, you know, in the next verse, why we're saved, or one of the reasons why. And that is to do the work that God has prepared in advance for us to do. And I look at that scripture and compare it to the talents. when I go to receive Holy Communion, the prayer that I will say when I receive it is that I'll, I'll say, Lord, through this reception of your blessed sacrament, please give me the grace to leave the, leave the church and to do the works that you've prepared in advance for me to do and to finish your work. Because I really believe that um, what, what God does when he's created us is he's given us these talents, and these talents belong to him. But him and his, I don't really know why he does this. Um, he he wants to collaborate with us in saving ourselves and also in helping others to come to know him and to be saved. And so whatever talents we have, those talents are to be used for the building up of his kingdom. And he gives us the power to use those talents appropriately through the sacraments we receive, particularly the Eucharist. Um, in, in the um, document on the Eucharist that John Paul II wrote a few years ago, you know, he talks about how you know every work that a Christian does, whether it be you know political activism to improve his community or caring for the poor, or whatever kind of social justice we're working for, has to be rooted in the Eucharist. Um, because that's the where we get our power to use yeah. those talents appropriately to really help people in this life. and hopefully by helping people in this life, we help them even more importantly to make it to the next life. Okay.
0: It enables us to fulfill the great commandment to love the Lord our God with heart, mind, soul, and strength in right. our neighbor as ourselves.
2: So and it today, enables us also to you know, to make disciples of people of all the nations and to baptize them in the name mm-hmm. of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Let's take one
0: last break, Jeff, and then we'll come back for a few closing thoughts for the program. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grody, your host. I'm joined tonight by Jeffrey Schwimm, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network.
1: please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at 1-800-664-5110.
0: All right, welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Groda. I'm joined this evening by Jeff Schwimm. Jeff, um, I'm going to put a little spin on you here. OK, as we close, because uh, that Matthew 25:15, which says something a lot about how this passage is to be interpreted, because um, it says to one he gave ten, five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Now, what's interesting about that is in our culture, we tend to interpret talents and abilities as the same thing. So it sounds kind of funny. He gave somebody five talents according to his ability. So he gave ability according to his ability. But a way to understand this passage is to recognize, again, as you said, our abilities were not given to us because you're better than me or I'm better than somebody else. That's the way God created our character. And one can see these talents based on the abilities as opportunities that were to the level of which God has already prepared us. So someone given lots of abilities, He's given those for a task. And then he gives them opportunities connected with those abilities. You see what I'm saying?
2: I see exactly what you're saying. And
0: somebody that maybe doesn't seem to be given lots of abilities, God's not going to call that person to do the, the the opportunities he gives to someone with many, many op, many, many talents. That's God's mercy. But we're not to look at one another to feel, oh, God left me out because he only gave me this number of talents, and he gave somebody these great number, or he only gave me one opportunity versus someone that's been given 100 opportunities, we are to accept what God gave each of us and to be faithful with that.
2: And, and that's the great thing about being Catholic. See, as a Jehovah's Witness, we were told that our number one ability or talent was to be expressed through the distribution of Watchtower magazines <laughs> and through going to the meetings five times a week and everybody was supposed to look the same they were supposed to do the same thing and we were even told to not even develop some talents that we had that might be outside of that because it would take away from the distribution of watchtower literature as a catholic there are a variety of different ways to be catholic that's Mm -hmm. part of the universality of of catholicism Um, and the reason why that there's so many different types of spirituality within the catholic church is because God didn't make us all the same. He's given us all different talents. It's also because some of us are in different places in our journey. Mm -hmm. You know, we might have a talent today due to our life experiences that God gave us that we didn't have ten years ago. I can certainly say that's true in my case. And so God prepares us along the way to give us different talents to do different works along the way as he sees fit in his kingdom. So just because, you know, we have this talent at this point doesn't mean we won't be developing into another talent. You know, God won't give us another talent at another point to use in in, uh, uh, building up his kingdom. And
0: and this speaks directly to the need for spiritual direction. Correct. We need help discerning the gifts that we've been given. Our abilities and opportunities, both are important. I mean, I can think of a certain person in our culture who is considered the richest man in the world, and he has a tremendous number of opportunities, and he'll stand before God accountable for how he used the gifts he was given and the opportunities he was given. Right. I'm not going to be held accountable for that, neither are you. But we have mm-hmm. talents and opportunities that we'll stand before God for. Correct. A- and that but we've been given grace to do
2: that. Correct. And 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 that's the thing to remember. It's it's all grace. Um and, and that was something that I really didn't get when I was a Jehovah's Witness, that, you know, part of the reason why God gives us these talents and collaborates with us is to make us more like him. Mm-hmm. And um, what a loving father. It, you know, I kind of view it as, you know, my father, when he took me out to, cho- to show me how to change a flat tire, or he showed me how to, to hammer a nail, so he showed me, you know... He could have gotten all that work done on his own and much quicker if I wasn't holding him back. But my father wanted to teach me something, in a certain sense, to be more like him, but to show me what it was like to build something. You know, he was trying to collaborate with me. Our Heavenly Father is uh, no different
0: in that regard. Well, Jeff, thank you for joining us on Deep in Scripture. Thanks for having me. I, I always appreciate having you on the program and because you give a unique witness because of the journey. I mean, in a sense your past is a bit of a talent, if you want to say. It was an opportunity <laughs> that that is a gift that, that I didn't have and then God has given you opportunities to use that for the good of his kingdom. So, Thank you so much and thank all of you for joining us on Deep in Scripture. Again, if you'd like to find out more, you can go to deepinscripture.com or you can give our office a call 740-450-1175 or send me an email at marcus at com. We'd love to hear from you. God bless. I look forward to being with you again next week.